Good evening and welcome to the Jimbo Hannon Show. I am your host Jimbo Hannon 2.0. Tonight we will discuss the growing trend of robots performing many of today's jobs. As your host, I intend to bring you a superb radio program. Please call one 866 jimbo or one 866 What could possibly go, 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 go wrong? Possibly go wrong, go wrong, go wrong, go wrong. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, this is redundant old Jim 1.0 here. <laughs> think that could happen? Uh, well, you stop and stop and think about it as uh, we uh, we get to our guest in this portion of the program. We, we already have synthetic voices. Uh, uh, Stephen Hawking's voice, for example, although he is, has uh, opted to maintain that old, rather robotic-sounding voice. In fact, they, they've offered him a, a newer voice. It sounded more, more natural. He, he just chose not to take it. That exists. And in terms of artificial intelligence, well, they're making great strides in that regard. But let's be honest. Just how much intelligence does it take to make a talk show host? I rest my case. Suffice it to say that we are all vulnerable to something here. And it's something that has uh, been starkly obvious to some and uh, just, I think, really becoming uh, noticeable to others. And that is the fact that uh, the robots are coming, folks. And, in fact, for many people, the robots are already here. Now, does this necessarily mean that all is lost? Woe is us. The sky is uh, falling in a, a digital electronic way. Well, let's talk about that tonight with Lou Weiss. He is a national and international business professional and the co-host of Manufacturing Talk Radio. And we're talking here about robot manufacturing. Lou, thanks for joining us tonight. I appreciate being here. Thank you for having me. Wasn't that a great introduction our staff put together? <laughs> oh, that was, that was terrific. That was terrific. I thought you were going to say that I'm from the buggy whip manufacturers of the 1890s. <laughs> well, you know, uh, again, uh, it, it's hard to know where we are going. And I, I can recall as a, a youth back in the Jurassic era when all this was just uh, the Jetsons on TV and, and, and sci-fi of uh, the highest, campiest order. It wasn't going to actually happen. and uh, But there was supposed to be this moment of great nirvana when all of the, the, the crap jobs, all the, the, the break-your-back, sweaty, dirty jobs, would be handled by robots who would all be basically humanoid and, uh, and the like. And uh, the rest of us, uh, we would uh, be confined to thinking deep thoughts, I suppose. And, uh, but we would all share in the abundance because, of course, this automated society would produce just gazillions of wonderful things we would no longer want for anything. And always, even as a kid, it occurred to me, once I had even an inkling of the understanding of economics, that that's interesting. But, uh, but today, of course, people must earn their keep. They get a paycheck uh, based on what they do. If we are no longer doing much of anything, at some point, don't you have to rejigger just how that wealth is shared? Is, is, that, a, is that a question? That certainly is. Sharing, sharing the wealth. Um, well, he, here's the story with, uh, with robotics. And, uh, you know, you're right. Back in the 30s, they were doing comic books with these uh, artificial uh, robotic animated looks about them. Uh, and you started off the show with the comment about uh, the robots are coming, and they are. And uh, uh, they're taking over the dirty, uh, the dangerous and the dull and the, uh, the jobs that nobody wants. Um, and they're getting so much more sophisticated. Uh, and I think that what you described 
going into the future where robots are going to be doing everything is not in the near term, but it's going to probably be in the next 30, 40, 50 years. But in the meantime, uh, they're doing a lot of good. Well, they are doing good. I, I, again, I have no problem with this, uh, but I, I think that it may require us to rethink some things. Now, it has been a watchword of automation from the from day one. I guess you can go back to the uh, the the, the, uh, the one of the steam powered looms in the 1830s and and some of the original Luddite demonstrations that took place. A watchword of this revolution has always been. Yes, there will be some jobs which will be destroyed, but automation always creates more new jobs than it takes away. I'm wondering, do you think that now in the 21st century that will necessarily be the case? I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Uh, they are going to be, uh, there are going to be some jobs lost, but at the same time there's going to be new jobs created. Uh, programming for uh, uh, robot uh, automation, uh, installation, repair, maintenance. Uh, there are going to be a lot of new jobs that are going to be created as a result of uh, the robotics. And uh, I think it's already being proven that there was something like 230,000 uh, robots uh, sold in uh, 2015. And that was a 39% increase over the year before. So now, it's, I, it's really it's really here. Yeah, it is definitely here, and it's certainly going to continue. Uh, one thing that I hear some people say these days, with which I disagree strongly, and and that is, uh, I'm uh, I, I'm a laborer. Uh, you know, I I, I do. Uh, do hard physical work, or or I'm a truck driver, or I'm a plumber, or whatever. I can't do computer programming. So so what you're doing is you're taking away my job and creating new jobs. Okay, but they're jobs that I can't do. And I'm reminded of the the viewpoint about the the general public back around the time of the American Revolution. The idea that everybody could read and write, please, the average person isn't capable of reading and writing. I think that the people who feel that way today are just selling themselves short. Um, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, they claim that our unemployment is at 4.7%, and it's, it's really, uh, that's the U3 number, the U6. The U6 number is almost 10%. Yeah, but for those who don't know, again, that refers to the, the uh, government's uh, choice, uh, and it, ha it happens in every administration, uh, of emphasizing one particular figure, which is if you lose your job and you're out of work and you're looking for work, you're unemployed, and you're, you're still looking and you're unemployed, and you get so discouraged you stop looking, presto, you're no longer unemployed. That obviously is a, a bogus figure because you're only, you only stop looking because you gave up hope. So you're right. I just wanted to make sure people understood what we're talking about. Yeah, correct. And actually that number that you're talking about is 92 million people that, have, that are unemployed and have stopped looking. So it's, a, it's really a critical situation. And we have today... Three and a half million vacant manufacturing positions available in this country, and all of our uh, candidates for uh, office are saying bring jobs back to America, which is really great, really terrific. But who's going to do the jobs? So you're going to bring back jobs, and you and you now have three and a half million vacancies with more jobs and no one to fill them. 
1-866-50 Jimbo is our number. One eight six six five zero five four six two six. As we talk with Lou Weiss again, he is uh, a business professional, co-host of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Uh, the website, by the way, MFG. TalkRadio.com, MFG, like manufacturing, MFGTalkRadio.com. And we're going to be talking some more about this. This is here, folks. It's affecting a lot of people, even big mouth talk show hosts. I've had some friends tell me that lawyers could be affected, and there are law firms now that are dealing in artificial intelligence. I kid you not. Uh, so it, sometimes your collar could be white when a device comes along and pushes you aside. Just a little something for you to think about as we continue our discussion with Lou Weiss. Uh, life, of course, is is filled with problems, all kinds of problems, uh, some big, some little, and some that uh, may not be life-threatening, but uh, they bother you. For example, take a quick look in the mirror. See those bags under your eyes? You can simply get rid of them. You really can. Introducing GenuCell Plant Stem Cell Therapy for bags and puffiness under the eyes. Look what Rosa from New Jersey says. I felt the bags under my eyes firm up, and the skin was glowing. Your product helped me to reduce puffiness very fast, and in a couple of weeks, I stopped using concealer because of the improvement. Actually, I've gone a week without applying heavy makeup. I would recommend it to anyone. I've noticed a great difference. And with its instant effects, you'll see results in as little as 12 hours, guaranteed, or your money back. Plus, for new, younger, and wrinkle-free skin, Shamane will also give you the legendary Esotique Wrinkle Treatment absolutely free just for trying Genucel today. Call 1-800-481-5160. 1-800-481-5160. You'll be absolutely amazed by the results. Or your money back. Guaranteed. Call 1-800-481-5160. one 800 481-5160. Call 1-800-481-5160. Back in a moment. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Bohannon. Oh, mercy. Chuck Berry has just been automated. All right, 1-866-50-JIMBO is our number, 1-866-505-4626. Delighted that you are on the program with us tonight. We're talking with Lou Weiss. We're looking ahead to this brave new world, and really not that far ahead, because here we are, and it's 2016. It ain't 1916 anymore, and there are a lot of jobs that have been automated, and more to come. We are actually... As many jobs as have been affected by this, we're probably on the cusp of a revolution that, say, uh, 20, even 10 years from now, could be drastically different. Let's talk to uh, Mike, who calls in from St. Paul, Minnesota. Good evening, Mike. Good evening, Mr. Bohannon. I believe we have a little bit of time uh, warp uh, continuance together. You served in the military from, what, 19, I was in from 60, early 67 through late 70. I was in the military from uh, 66 to 70. Yes, that's correct. Uh, what do you, what's on your mind tonight, uh, Mike? Well, thank you for your service. Thank you. And you too. Uh, my degree is in engineering, electronics. And way back when, uh, the discussion, part of our discussion was always about uh, technology and automation and robotics and that sort of thing. 
and the topic of life came up, you know, where do you have a balance between uh, the type of technology and robotics in terms of what it produces and what it saves in terms of costs and energy versus what people can actually earn to spend? If people can't have quality jobs that generate the revenues to buy the products, you don't need the robotics to build the products. And that, to me, seems to be the continuing concern when we have a middle class whose education gets to be of a lesser value. And how do you accommodate a lower income uh, when you're going to replace a lot of those jobs with technologies? Yeah, a really good point. In fact, that was actually expressed in a, I'm not sure if it's an apocryphal discussion that's said to have taken place between uh, Henry Ford and uh uh, the uh, head of, uh, of uh, I guess, the United Auto Workers. Uh, this must have been some decades back. But uh, Ford was showing off to the uh, UAW man all of the uh, the new uh, automated processes on the Ford assembly line, obviously far short of what exists today, but, but a move in that direction. And uh, Ford is said to have said to the union official, how are you going to unionize those machines? And the uh, union official replied, how are you going to sell them new Fords? So that is a concern, is it not, Lou Weiss? <laughs> that was a great line. I haven't heard that one. Um, the 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 automation, the robotics that exists today is primarily in the automotive, electronics, and the metals industry. It represents almost eighty percent. So I don't think that we're all looking at losing our jobs right now. Um, there's uh, about a million five. Uh, people who are involved in the robotics manufacturing industry. So it it has created jobs and will continue to do so, considering that the uh, sale of uh, robots and robotics is increasing at 20, 30% a year. 1 866 Jimbo, our number, 1 866 As we go to Laredo, uh, in Circle, Montana. Hello, Laredo. Hi, how's it going? Fine, thank you. Uh, so, you know, I work for John Deere here in our, my small town in eastern Montana, and, you know, I know everything is getting more and more automated. I mean, they've got auto steer where the tractor goes up and down the field and does everything for you. But you guys are saying that people are selling themselves short because they say they can't do a technological job and they can only do something physical, like drive a truck or do this and that. But what about people that don't want to sit behind the desk and do those jobs? Well, I mean, uh, I guess uh, if, if, if you're incapable of doing such a job, if you genuinely have limited mental capacity, which is not the case with most people, then I, I feel for you. But if you just don't like the idea of sitting behind a desk, I guess I'm, I'm a little less sympathetic here because uh, if you make a good living, let's say, sitting behind that desk, then you can always spend your weekends running through the woods or, or running on a treadmill or whatever it is that uh, you feel you're being denied by sitting behind that desk. I, I mean, you go where the jobs are, and if tomorrow the only job for me is, is shoveling caca, I won't be happy about it. But, but I'll do it if I have to. And, and if some people feel that sitting behind a desk is like shoveling caca, then, well, tough break, don't you think? Well, not really. You know, mechanicing, that's what I do is I'm a mechanic, and I enjoy doing it, you know. 
I enjoy doing that kind of physical labor. I, I but but there are a lot of people today who cannot make a living doing what they enjoy. Look at all the people, the hobbies that people have. I mean, that's why people uh, uh, carve and, and paint because they can't make a living uh, uh, sculpting or, 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 or painting. That's why we have uh, softball leagues because people weren't good enough to be a major league baseball player. That's what hobbies are for. Yeah, but. I, I'm going to school for John Deere here in the fall, and they're paying for it 100%. I ain't paying for hardly a dime of it. And I know that there are plenty of other scholarships, such as what I have for mechanical jobs. So you should be able to go and be able to do that where that's what you want to do and not have to sit behind the desk. Well, again, uh, it's what jobs are available. And as I say, for people who are, are literally incapable of doing a job, if you're in a wheelchair, you're not going to be an NFL running back, all right? We all understand that. But if you're perfectly capable of sitting behind a desk, but nobody wants you to, to go out and do physical labor, I mean, those I, honestly, Laredo, I hate to be insensitive, but those are the breaks. Then, then do do the physical labor that you like to do as a hobby. Let's face it, the vast majority of people don't get to do for a living what they want to do. Well, you know, but then you also got to look at it, how many people are out there that aren't doing anything when they could be doing that physical labor just because they're lazy. Well, no, there are those. There, there are those. But, again, increasingly those jobs are going to be disappearing. Well, I guess. I mean, you you know you can you can like it or, or dislike it, but the, the, they are going to be going away. Now that doesn't mean that, of course, that you can't go out and uh, oh plant a really big garden and engage in physical labor or, or build stuff uh, with a hammer and, 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 and nails and, and, and wood on the weekend. Or if you you really into to coal mining, doesn't mean you can't go off someplace on a buy a piece of property and, and dig a hole in the side of a hill and and, and mine. I mean, you can do this stuff. It's just that there may not be anybody willing to pay you for it. Yeah, I guess I see what you're saying. I mean, I'm not the type of person that if I can't, you know, mechanic or whatever, I'm not going to take the job behind the desk. I mean, I'm going to work one way or another, but I still don't see that them jobs should be taken away. I mean, there's just so many of them across the world. Well, there are a lot of them, and they're not going to disappear overnight. We'll, we'll talk some more about that with our guests. They're not going to go away every last one of them in the next five years, but over the course of the next, say, 30, I think it would be safe to say, and we'll ask Lou Weiss about this, that, that a lot of those jobs worldwide will disappear. You you, you can go to a third-world country, I'm sure, and, and find such jobs, but uh, we'll talk more in a moment. Welcome back to the Jim Bohannon Show. <laughs> Who was that mass robot? Why, that was the lone robot. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a brave new world. Previous caller, uh, Lou Weiss, uh, had some interesting points to bring up. Here's a guy who enjoys physical labor and was not happy at the prospect of no longer being able to do it. And as I, I tried to point out to him, uh, it doesn't mean he can't do it. it. just means that there probably won't be that many people willing to pay him to do it. Uh, your thoughts on that? Well, he sounded uh, he sounded like a doer. I mean, he was talking about the fact that he uh, um, John Deere paid for his uh, training, 
um, and they, you know, he didn't pay a dime for it. So he's he's out there, uh, and there there are companies all over the country today that are doing the same thing. They're instituting training programs to train uh, their old people to to retrain them so that they can retain them, and it's uh, it is a trend. And uh, in the interim, and I'm going to kind of depart off your your question for a moment. Part of the robotic evolution that's occurring, they now have what they call cobots. And cobots are collaboration robots where they can work with human beings, where they don't, the robots are not in cages and they're out moving around. They have sensors that can detect people that can actually see them, that can avoid accidents, avoid hitting them. So that's part of the gradual uh, growth and evolution of this industry. But uh, getting back to his point and your point as well, that you know, if you're going to be a lazy slug drinking beer on the porch, you're not going to get a job, and uh, the government's not going to be able to pay for you because we can't pay for the government anymore. Yeah. Uh, some things here that I find rather interesting. Uh, one is that merely being able to find the most efficient way to make something is not necessarily the end-all and be-all of an economy. Now, if you are a capitalist, and I'm certainly not an anti-capitalist by any stretch of the imagination, and I understand the goal of capitalism, and that is to maximize profits, and that's fine up to a point. However, there is a reason we have regulations on business, because sometimes maximizing profits Uh, Purists of Adam Smith may all go, but it's true. Sometimes (laughs) maximizing profit isn't necessarily what's best for society. And I pose this to you, Lou Weiss, and that would be this. Let's say that we are in a position now where we can maximize profits and in the the same process produce the most goods uh, and services by totally automating society. There is more to life than that. If you have tons of people who are sitting around uh, doing nothing, that isn't a good thing for society. People need a sense of worth. And if, in fact, even though we uh, suddenly in this uh, this uh, technological nirvana that I've just uh, conjured here, uh, everybody has everything they could possibly want. The machines are just whipping out goods and services right and left, and everybody's provided with all they could want. Uh, want three Lamborghinis? Well, here they are, and the machines just keep knocking them out. People need a sense of worth, and this thing you mentioned about cobots I think is very important because people are going to have a need, even if it's less efficient, people are going to have a need to feel productive, don't you think? Absolutely, and um, you know, I can go back in time, and my my father, who is a linotype printer, uh, a linotype operator in the printing industry, when I got to a certain age, he said to me, "You know, son, why don't you learn a trade? Because they can't take that away from you." And uh, that, that is that exactly what's happening now. The trades are going away. A linotype operator doesn't exist anymore, and I doubt it. Many of your audience even knows what a linotype operator is. So, yeah, talking about uh, uh, self-worth, I I think what will happen ultimately is that because of uh, robotics and automation that we're actually going to wind up uh, working less hours, having more productive hours with a greater return on investment in the manufacturing 
plans. And that was and, the promise uh, of automation. That, that's what was supposed to happen. I mean, sure, you you work fewer hours and, and, and more is produced and it's equitably shared. Uh, yeah, there'll still be rich people and people not so rich, but, but there'll be some mechanism by which if you work fewer hours, you're not going to take a cut and pay with all of this new productivity, provided there is that mechanism. I thought that's what this was all about, this glittering tomorrow where nobody had to break their back for 60 hours a week, as was common a century ago. That was That's the whole point, isn't it? Right. That's true. That's true. And, uh, you know, back 100 years ago, people were breaking their backs, and they weren't working 40 hours. They were working 70 and 80 hours. They would work from on the farm from sunup to sundown, putting in 10, 9, 10 hours. Right now, you you have uh, the farming industry, for example, has been reduced by 97% over the last 100 years. So there there is a uh, – you, you referred to it before, the Industrial Revolution. I'm referring to it as the Industrial Evolution. We can't stop it, and we just have to make do and make um, – make, Create situations that the society, as you brought up, society is uh, also cultured and learning and doing new things with all of the new products that are being made and the new technologies. Would it not be quite possible? Would it be quite possible under such a circumstance? And again, we're we're talking uh, pipe dreams here, but but not necessarily unrealistic pipe dreams in this glittery automated future, where uh, maybe people are no longer working forty hours a week. Maybe uh, maybe we can divvy up the work so that instead of some people working forty and a bunch of people having no work at all, maybe everybody averages so. Oh, 20 hours a week, and we're so wealthy from all this automated production that we can pay people in the other parts of, of their time to go to school, for example. I mean, I mean, that doesn't seem impossible in this new era, does it? No, absolutely not. And uh, matter of fact, there's uh, a company that uh, I'm familiar with uh, who are taking their senior uh, technicians, uh, CNC operators, uh, tool and die makers, and so on, the older ones who are going to retire in a year, year and a half, and having them train people on a one-on-one basis, take younger people or career change people and teach them their trade one-on-one. And for that, the employer gave the uh, seniors a, a boot, and uh, gave them a benefit for staying the extra time or the extra year. And uh, this way you're being well-trained one-on-one as long as a computer, as long as a robot doesn't come along and take your job. Stay with us. More to come. one 866 jimbo one 866 And uh, I or my digital replacement will be back in just a moment. greatest human being ever in the whole world, Jim DeHannon. <laughs> well, there you go. That's my kind of robot right there. 
Thank you, my dear. Thank you, yes. Uh, and so we'll reserve all of our loving for uh, whatever new device comes down the road, provided it, well, really, seriously, improves the human condition. Or if we adapt to it in a way that improves the human condition. Our guest, again, uh, is Lou Weiss. He is from the Manufacturing Talk Radio Network online at mfgtalkradio.com and a business professional. Uh, let's talk to Don in Fort Worth, Texas, shall we? Good evening, Don. Can you play uh, hot, uh, Popcorn by Hot Butter? Do you remember that song? <laughs> uh, vaguely, vaguely, yes. Okay. <laughs> that, back in the 80s, I used to work in a bowling alley, and uh, we had 24 uh, bowling lanes in there, and we had 24 pin setters. And the guy that owned the place, he showed me pictures. Back during the Great Depression era, when he was like 10 and 12 years old, he worked as a pin setter in bowling alleys. Mm-hmm. And back in, the, in, in the, the, the 20s and stuff, they would have 10 and 12-year-old kids in there, and they're uh, they're they're behind the lanes over there, and they're they're uh, trying to set up all the bowling pins like that. And when when the when they when they weren't setting up the bowling pins, they were dodging the pins that are that the, they're being knocked around by the bowling balls and stuff. Sure. And these uh, these kids are making like uh, like fifteen and twenty cents an hour, and that's 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 what Mr. Putnam I used to work for you know, uh, did as a child, and now he wound up owning a, a bowling lane a lane with twenty four. Lanes and had to, had to 24 robot pin setters. Yeah, and, and today uh, I'm, there are young people out there who need to learn a work ethic and, and pull in some uh, some uh, spending money. But uh, however they do it, I can guarantee you they're not doing it as pin setters. <laughs> they're, they're not getting whacked on the kneecaps with the, with. Well, no, no, that's true. Uh, that's a good point, uh, uh, Lou Weiss, that Don <laughs> brings up. Uh, you, granted, the jobs have disappeared, but uh, let's face it, there were undoubtedly kids who got hurt because, you know, bowling pins flying around, a big piece of wood light might as well get whacked with a baseball bat. Well, that's, that's for sure. That's for sure. It was a dangerous career when you were 13 years old. Yeah. But but I know something here that Don brought up is kind of interesting here, and that is uh, uh, fewer and fewer teens are taking summer jobs. Uh, for example, the number of jobs that people ages 16 to 19 secured in the month of May was 156,000 total. That's 14% down from last year. This is from uh, the uh, career outplacement firm uh, Challenger, Gray, and uh, Christmas. And these numbers have been dropping for a number of years now. Now, I don't know if it's all just jobs being automated out of existence or if uh, if young people are just less willing to do the uh, the dirt jobs we used to do uh, to try and pull down money. Uh, you tell me, Lou Weiss. Well, I think our society has changed uh, significantly in that uh, the, the economy um, of our society is such that uh, the kids don't want to uh, work. They want, they go to uh, sleepaway camps. They go on team tours in the summer months, uh, number one. And number two, there's a lot less of those jobs around. I mean, where's there a neighborhood drugstore anymore that you can run and deliver drugs? I mean, there's, those, uh, jobs don't, those jobs don't exist anymore. Yeah. Uh, it, it cuts uh, both ways, no doubt about it. Uh, Don, thanks for your call. That's very perceptive that, uh, that you bring that up. Uh, something else that will have some impact on this that's very current in the news, uh, Lou Weiss, and that would be the move toward drastically increasing the minimum wage to 11 bucks an hour in some places, $15 an hour seems to be the new ideal mm-hmm. minimum wage. And uh, you're going to see all kinds, I think, of automation that may not have been economically profitable before, 
uh, kick in now. I know uh, uh, on his uh, program, Politically Incorrect, Bill Maher recently said, well, that's a load of crap uh, because if, if in fact, it, it paid to automate, they'd be doing it now. Well, Bill obviously never took Econ 101 because there is a point at which these uh, automated uh, procedures and devices do become economically viable. And if your cost of labor is, let's say, doubled, then that may pass the point where before it was cheaper to use people, let's say at McDonald's or something, but now all of a sudden it ain't cheaper anymore. You're going to see, I think, as the minimum wages go up, you may see any number of people who wind up getting a higher minimum wage, but there will be a lot fewer of them. I don't think it's ever really been proven that raising the minimum wage bailed anybody out of uh, poverty, nor did it ever give them uh, motivation to uh, move forward and, and grow in, in the economy and get an education and so on. Here's something I want to point out real quickly. I think it's in Seattle, uh, but it's uh, someplace where they have raised the minimum wage. Already people are looking at the fact that they had qualified before on the old minimum wage for subsidized housing. And there are people who have lobbied hard for this new minimum wage who are suddenly saying, oh, whoa, wait a minute, I'm going to be making too much money to, uh, to qualify for subsidized housing. So these are the very same people who lobbied for a higher minimum wage are now pushing to work fewer hours so they can still qualify for subsidized housing. Well, that's uh, it's all correct what you're saying, and the problem is that the, the the politicians that pass the laws aren't really thinking these issues out in its entirety. So we'll give them fifteen dollars an hour, but then they lose where they're living, and they're back to square one. They're going to go back and, uh, and wrap up with Lou Weiss by asking him to uh, to peer into his crystal ball and where he sees all of this automation going in the next oh five, ten, or fifteen, or whatever years. Because it's here. Uh, the only question is what we do about it. We'll be back in a moment. He's actually broadcasting right now in his underwear, Jim Bohannon. <laughs> so much for the theater of the mind. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk to Jackie in Watertown, Wisconsin, for Lou Weiss of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Hi, Jackie. Hello, Mr. Bohannon. Uh, I've been hearing advertisements on radio stations for a company that is looking for franchises to uh, set up robotic dispensers of frozen yogurt, mm -hmm. nine different flavors, assorted toppings. Sure. So I don't think that this is that far in the future. I don't think it's 40 or 50 years. Oh, out. no, I don't think 40 or 50 either. For what you're talking about, uh, that's just one uh, minimum wage hike away. Exactly. And all those people that work in the malls that have the little uh, food court places where they dispense things like this, they can pretty well say goodbye to those. Uh, I would have to think so. Your thoughts, uh, Lou Weiss? Uh, yeah, I, I agree. And uh, the menial tasks and uh, uh, picking fruit and on farms, uh, those jobs are going away. Uh, and therefore, we need to direct 
get themselves into a industry or a mindset that they can go with the evolution that's occurring. Um, distributing yogurt, I don't think, really fits that bill. All right. Uh, thank you for your call. Uh, put on your crystal ball here as a couple of minutes or so to go here. Where is this all heading in your view? And uh, also, where should it be heading? Um, I, I believe that we're, we're heading in the direction that we're heading in. And you and I have been talking about it, Jim, and, you know, it's, uh, it's a great conversation. Uh, there's nothing to do about this. We just have to ride along, learn the skills, uh, and, and follow the evolution. There's no, uh, there's no turning back, turning this back. Um, the, uh, the, the products that they're going to be coming out with, the return on investment that they're looking for on the, and all the equipment that they're uh, producing. Uh, it, you know, it's not 40, 50 years out, but it certainly is within the next 10, 15 years. Right now we have a growth of between 20 and 30% a year in the robotics industry. And the United States is only the number three country. Really? Who, who are one and two? I guess Japan must be up there. Well, Japan is number four. Korea and China is number one. Really? China and Korea both ahead of the U.S. and Japan? Absolutely. Absolutely. And Italy is the biggest in Europe, which there somewhere is around five or six or seven. So it's, uh, there are certain areas. Uh, South America, they're buying our robots, uh, but they're very... Uh, uh, it's only about an 8% uh, growth uh, this past year. Uh, but, the, you know, everything above the, uh, above the equator, you know, the industrialized uh, societies uh, are uh, in this, uh, in this uh, mode of uh, automation. And uh, I, if, if I was 19 years old, I'd be going maybe to college to learn robotic engineering, uh, maybe I'd be going to New Jersey uh, in, uh, Industrial te- uh, Technology uh, to learn all about manufacturing. That's where it's at. Well, it is a brave new world out there, folks. But again, sure people, people have to adapt. And uh, it's not as though we're being asked to adapt to a subsistence existence. We're not being asked to adapt to the, the end of of uh, technologically uh, advanced civilization where we all have to go out and break our back behind a, uh, an ox pulling a plow. It's, it, we're adapting to a new world which, if we adapt properly, ought to be a better place. It really should. Lou Weiss, our guest, stay on the line. We'll speak off air. He is with Manufacturing Talk Radio. And uh, hang on for the ride, folks. I'm Jim Bohannon, and this is Westwood One. Hello there and good evening. Welcome to the Jimbo Hannon Show from Westwood One Radio. We're at one 866 jimbo 1-866-505-4626. Online you'll find us at jimbotalk.net. And you can follow me on Twitter 
at Jimbo Talks. Thanks for being with us. Thanks to our guests earlier in the program tonight. Lou Dobbs with us in the first hour of this evening, the host of Lou Dobbs Tonight on the Fox Business Channel, weeknights 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, full disclosure, yeah, sometimes uh, Lou has me in as a, as a guest on the program. He has written a number of books, including Independence Day, that's I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D-E-N-T-S, Independence Day, Awakening the American Spirit, from uh, Viking Publishing, and War on the Middle Class, published by Penguin Books and subtitled How the Government, Big Business, and Special Interest Groups Were Waging War on the American Dream and How to Fight Back. Lou always... Uh, uh, not short on articulate opinions, and he expressed a few this past evening, all the way from the treatment of the Orlando shooter to changes in the Trump campaign and uh, a number of other related issues. It's a tumultuous time, and uh, Lou does a great job. Again, weeknights uh, 7 p.m. on the Fox Business Channel, uh, 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time, let me hasten to add. By the way, uh, in our second hour, of course, uh, you just heard uh, a discussion with Lou Weiss, he is the CEO of All Metals and Forge Group of New Jersey, co-host of Manufacturing Talk Radio, and uh, we took a look at how far automation is going. And that bothers a lot of people. It really does, and it's understandable. It, it brings an element of uncertainty, and let's face it, uh, mostly uncertainty bothers people. I maintain that if we handle it properly and we distribute work appropriately, that we may well reach a day when we will, quote, work maybe 20 hours a week. Certainly better that, uh, that we all work 20 hours a week than that some of us work 40 and uh, others of us work not at all. And, and, and the rest of the time, if we're so productive, we may be able to go to school. I mean... Maybe it only takes a little technology to make Bernie Sanders' dream of free college economically viable today. Not so much, but who knows what the, the future may bring. By the way, uh, the Radio Hall of Fame, of which I'm a proud member and uh, also the annual announcer, has announced that uh, beginning today, you may vote for your favorite radio personalities in a couple of categories to be inducted into the National Radio Hall of Fame come November the 17th. There are nominees in uh, music format, on-air personality, and spoken word, on-air personality. And just to give you a look at the names here, Sean Hollywood Hamilton. These are under the music format, on-air personality. Sean Hollywood Hamilton, Tom Kent, The Kevin and Bean Show, Kevin Ryder and Gene Baxter, and uh, Bob Kingsley. Now, for spoken word, on-air personality, the nominees are Sean Hannity, Mike and the Mad Dog, Mike Francesa and Chris Russo, Diane Rehm of Public Radio, and Michael Savage. And so, until uh, uh, the stroke of the midnight hour, 11.59 p.m. on uh, the night of June the 30th, you may uh, text 365 36500 with one vote for each Hall of Fame category. Uh, it's all spelled out at RadioHOF.org, RadioHOF.org. We're going to have on uh, Bruce Dumont, the founder of the Museum of Broadcast Communications and the National Radio Hall of Fame, 
this coming evening at this time, and we'll go into greater detail, but suffice it to say that uh, you can help pick who goes into the Radio Hall of Fame. There are various categories, and uh, a couple of them are open to all, uh, public voting now through the night of uh, June the 30th. Again, uh, uh, music format, on-air personality, and uh, spoken word on-air personality, and uh, it's a chance for you to, to vote for your favorite. So uh, please do so. We'd love to have you uh, express your viewpoint again at RadioHOF.org, Radio Hall of Fame website, RadioHOF.org. I was noting uh, earlier in our discussion with Lou Weiss about uh, teens shunning summer jobs. According to a survey from the career outplacement firm Challenger, Gray, and Christmas, the number of jobs that people 16 to 19 secured in May, that's of course the start of the summer hiring surge, the number of those jobs was just 156,000. That's down 14% from last year. And it's part of a decades-long trend in which fewer teens than ever work summer jobs. More than half of teenagers work summer jobs in the 70s and 80s. These days, fewer than one in three do. That, according to a survey released by the Pew Research Center. The uh, general trend here has been downward since the late 70s. One reason? Uh, teens are choosing not to work. It's not a case of uh, being unable to work. In many cases, uh, teens are not pursuing traditional summer jobs like they used to. Instead, according to John Challenger, the uh, CEO of uh, Challenger Gray and Christmas, uh, t instead many teens are volunteering, enrolling in educational programs, or doing other things that may pad their college applications, which is great. I didn't know that that many people were that well off. Uh, it wasn't so much that uh, that we uh, really dug doing manual labor, which is what a lot of summer jobs used to be, working on road gangs and all kinds of uh, pretty heavy lifting type of jobs. It wasn't that we just really dug that. It's that we needed the money. So if this survey is correct, and it's not a case of teens not having jobs available, but they're choosing not to pursue traditional summer jobs but are instead volunteering, applying effort for free, enrolling in educational programs, or doing things to make uh, college applications uh, more attractive to colleges. That would seem to imply that money's not a factor. Well, good for you. I wasn't aware that we were doing that magnificently. I'm curious your feelings about this. How do you feel about this notion? Fewer teen jobs... There are a lot of things to be said, frankly, for such summer employment, especially if you need money. That's one way to get it. And let's face it, teens don't tend to bring a lot of skills to the table. This is a way to get some money. It's also a way to get a work ethic. Yes, you must show up on time. Yes, you must dress appropriately. What's appropriate? What your boss says. Well, I don't want to. Well, then that's too bad. Welcome to the real world. Your teachers, in many cases, have not uh, taught you well. They have uh, taught you in sort of a, a cotton candy cocoon of, of make-believe world. Welcome to the real world. Uh, summer employment does more than just give you some spending money or money for college or whatever. 
money to help out the family. It also gives you a work ethic and an introduction to the real world, of which many young people are unfortunately, uh, shall we say, not fully acquainted. That would be my take. How do you feel about this? one 866 jimbo is our number. one 866 I think it's great that, uh, in fact, uh, teens don't have to worry about money, if, in fact, that is really the conclusion. Again, uh, uh, John Challenger is the CEO of Challenger Gray and Christmas. They did one of the studies that I cited, and he does give this as one reason, a big reason, but not the only reason. But in many cases, he says teens are simply choosing not to work. Well, again, if you've got that option, well, good for you. I just wasn't aware that we were doing that wonderfully well in this country. I was under the impression that there were still a lot of people out there who just flat needed the money. And being a young person, they didn't bring a lot of skills to the table. And so a strong back still has a place in terms of making some money. Or maybe I'm wrong. one 866 jimbo one 866 your thoughts about that on the Jimbo Haddon Show in just a moment. Welcome back to the Jimbo Haddon Show at one eight six six five zero jimbo The end of the summer job? Well, it's not ending, but it's certainly dropping precipitously. According to a couple of new studies, indicate that fewer and fewer teenagers are actually taking summer jobs. Now, in some cases, I don't know, automation may have been a factor, but according to uh, the head of uh, one particular study, the uh, CEO of uh, Challenger Gray and Christmas, the uh, outplacing job uh, firm, uh, this is a, a matter of choice. The young people are choosing not to do this. And if they are, in fact, that well-to-do that they don't need the money, well, good for them. But I can see some downsides to this. Uh, I can't say that I really enjoyed many of my summer jobs, some more than others. But uh, I'm just curious as to uh, how you feel about this. Let's talk to Robert in Andalusia, Alabama. Good evening. Good evening, Jim. Um, I think it ought to be a required thing in high school for a kid to work at least three months in the fast food industry. At least that way they can deal to uh, learn to deal with the public and maybe get their noses turned down the way they've got them turned up, thinking that they're too good for things like that. that. There's a lot to be gained from that, frankly, Robert. Absolutely, yes, indeed, a certain amount of elitism. Let's face it, in, in a summer job, even though you may be on a career track to be a doctor, a lawyer, whatever, very white-collar existence, it would be, I think, very bad for your maturity and very bad for your growing up to never be exposed to people who actually have to work for a living. Good point. Yes, sir. You have a good night. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, Robert's got a real point there. It is a leveling process. I mean, I got, got to see the other side of the coin, uh, and uh, I can't say that I enjoyed it. I, I spent a summer uh, stacking among other things, 100-pound sacks of sugar in an unair-conditioned warehouse in a Missouri summer. We're talking, you know, 90-degree heat and inside that building more than that. And, uh, uh, I mean, I, I flat busted my hump. I, I, I did not like that job then. And even today, I can't say I look back on it with fond memories. But did it help me? 
Yeah, I made a whole dollar an hour, which actually at the time wasn't that bad. But it taught me a lot. And I associated with people I would never have associated with again. And haven't, quite frankly. Uh, but I am better for having made the association. To uh, Christine in Dothan, Alabama. Hello. Hi. Um, I had a comment to make about the teens not working. Um, my daughter has had trouble finding a job in uh, my little small town because she's a part of school activities, for example, the color guard. And they don't want to hire her because she's got camp in the summer for color guard. And, of course, she's going to be off, you know, every Friday night because of football games. So a lot of times, you know, kids that are very active in school are unable to find work because the employers do not want to deal with the school schedules. Now, that's, that's a pretty crucial thing. I know that today, for example, just take summer camps, for example. Back when I was growing up, summer camps meant, uh, oh, I guess Boy Scout camps and church camps were the two types I went to. And you just you camped out a lot and short-cheated people's bunks and, and learned how to, how to make wallets. Uh, right. <laughs> it wasn't exactly. But today, you know, you got computer camp, I mean, band camp I would have taken part in, uh, even things like speech and debate camp. Now, today... Uh, there are a lot of things that I would want to do like that that uh, would get in the way, but I needed the money. So, yeah, I see where you're coming from, uh, Christine. The, the, it could be a problem today. Back when I was growing up, the types of camps available were so limited. And, you know, so I ran around in the woods, and I short-cheated bunks. And, and, and essentially, if you think I'm, I'm putting down that camping experience, you are correct. I got very little out of that, and I would just as soon have been working and making money. Today... I uh, I understand how your daughter feels. Uh, the, that kind of camp I would have liked. She definitely loves it, and but you know she's going to have to wait till she graduates to go to work. She's fixing to start her senior year, so. Yeah. Well, if she can afford to, she's making the right choice. If if your family has the the money that that, that lets her do this sort of thing, that's good. I well, say more power you know, to it, her. It helps when Mama has a career and makes decent money. So. Yeah. <laughs> it, it sure does. Absolutely. A good point. Yeah. Well, yep. well, the best to her. I hope that she has a very rich and uh, and happy and successful life. But, yeah, Christine makes a really good point for those of us who are geezers like me. The options out there are a lot better than they were when I was growing up. As I say, hey, it was fun going to church camp and going to Boy Scout camp. But, I mean, I'll be really honest with you. You can only sleep out in the woods so much before, for me, it gets really old. Okay. And it got old for me pretty fast. And about the time that it got old for me was about the time I got old enough to get a job. And I would, frankly, I, I would rather have made the buck an hour in that hot, miserable warehouse than hanging around in the woods, to be perfectly honest with you. So that worked out well for me. Uh, Clint in Greenwood, South Carolina, a listener to uh, Ann Eller on WCRS 1450. Hi, Clint. <laughs> hey, Jim. Jim, you old anyway. <laughs> you Jim. <laughs> The reason I called in, a lot of the problems with teenagers now, they've done been handed everything to them on a silver platter from mom and dad. So why should they get that out there and work like you said? Back when I was a teenager, I had to get out and cut grass if I wanted to make some money. Oh, how many lawns did I mow? Oh, my <laughs> goodness gracious. Uh -huh. 
Jim, I got a question. When are you going to be back around Greenwood, South Carolina, anytime soon? Or well, you know? we're going to have to make that trip. Uh, we've been over to visit uh, WCRS Radio. I must tell you, I'm on over 500 radio stations. Right. And, and WCRS is the only station I know, which is a combination radio station and jewelry store. I'm serious. Right. Right. <laughs> So, yeah, you're right, Clint. we got to make it back over there because Ann Eller and her husband are just uh, Jeff, right. wonderful well, I people. Know, I know the first time I met you, you know, you look, I say you look a whole lot different from what you sound on radio. I hope I didn't offend you. No, not at all. I mean, very few people are aware of the fact that I'm actually a, a, a midget uh, black female. It's, it's not, not right. commonly known. Right. No, I'm, a, I'm an old an old white geezer, <laughs> and I'm and I'm big, bigger than I ought to be. <laughs> you're big like you did when I met you years ago. Well, I, I will make it a point to get back over to WCRS because Ann and her husband, uh, Jeff, are good people, and it's a great radio station, WCRS. Thank you for your call, Clint, and I think Clint's got a point. Uh, yeah, a, a summer job where you really got to work is uh, a real learning experience. To John in uh, Chariton, Iowa. Chariton, Iowa. Good evening, John. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Hey, I have a little different point. Um, I worked for a large grocery store chain, and I did in high school. And I'm 54 years old now. But when I was a kid, we were allowed to run machinery and do things that our company won't hire the kids now because uh, the laws and the labor laws won't allow them to run yeah. machinery, and they're not, they're not able to do anything. That's a real point. Yeah, I can remember as a kid doing things that uh... – well, I guess in retrospect, maybe they, I don't know, they may not have been the safest things to do. I didn't know anybody that got injured, but we did some stuff that, that probably today uh, the uh, protective cocoon people would say, oh, no, we can't let the little darlings do that. Well, you know, I'm still here. I've got all ten fingers. I mean. Yeah, they're not allowed to run, uh, you know, just a pallet jack to move pallets of groceries and things anymore until they're 18. Yeah. 17 years old. They yeah. can't work past 10 p.m., um, just the laws are crazy, and it's just, I mean, I don't know as though it's the kids necessarily. I mean, there's, I think every generation, thanks to younger, younger generation of kids, are lazier, but I'm not well, sure it's all the kids. I think we have kids that would like to work. I just yeah. don't, they won't let them. Yeah, I think there's a real real point there, too. And, again, I'm not in favor of kids losing digits or anything like that, but uh, you got to be reasonable. I think your point is well taken. Back with more in a moment. Welcome back to the Jimbo Hannon Show at one 560 jimbo one 4626 As we talk about a trend that's been going on really since the late 70s, each year a smaller and smaller percentage of young people, teenagers, take summer jobs. Sometimes it's voluntary. In other situations, uh, maybe less so. Let's talk to Diana in Lincoln, Nebraska. Hi, Diana. Hey, Jimbo, good evening. Good evening. You said earlier that you're a geezer. Well, I'm a geezerette. <laughs> good <And> for you. <laughs> worked all through my high school years. My, if, if I didn't have a job, my dad would find work for me and tell me to go apply here and there. My hardest summer was when I detasseled corn in my sophomore year. And now, people don't realize, but explain to people what's involved in detasseling corn, because I know a little bit about that. 
Okay, it's changed a lot. They have machines that they write on now. But in the, back in the day, you would meet at a certain place at about 4.30 in the morning. The bus would haul you out to a farm where there are rows of corn. The, we would detassel, meaning we would take off the pollinating part of the male row of corn so that it wouldn't pollinate the female row. And we would walk through the corn fields, and it would be wet and sloshy, and we would be filthy. We got off work at about 1 o'clock, and we were just dead tired at that time. Matter of fact, and, and dirty, a little bit dirty, too. Oh, my gosh. Really. <laughs> <laughs> it was some good memories. It is good memories. You know, at the time, I'll bet you didn't really like it that much. Well, you know, everybody was doing it. The whole yeah, everybody did it. I mean, you saw your friends. Exactly. So, I mean, it was fun going out. It was fun coming back, and I hated it at the time. But the next summer, didn't sign up for it, and I babysat all summer long and made money, and it was good. It wasn't anything to do with college experience, but I was really grateful. My niece, who is now a junior in college, also detasseled for her summers. And she was looking for internships this year. She's a computer engineering major and computer science major. And she couldn't find an internship. She's going back to detasseling, and she'll be a crew leader. And she's making more money for her periods of summer than I'm making on my on my job. <laughs> well, my you know, kids were always expected to work when they were yeah. in school. And whether they had money set aside for college or not, we did. We you know, contributed to their plans, to their college, um, their college funds, but we just expected them to work. And yeah. I think it's, uh, they call it the Midwestern ethic. Yeah. And it's true that uh, people are just amazed that I'm still working today. I'm 66 years old. I'm driving Social Security. I have no intent of giving up yeah. work. I don't know. I think you should. I think you, you make very valid points, Diana. Yeah, it needs to be, this kind of work needs to be available to more and more young people. In particular, uh, kids in urban areas, it, it is great to, for them to have a chance to, to get into the great outdoors and see actually that food does not really come from the supermarket. Honest, it really doesn't. There, there's a process before it gets to the supermarket. It's, it's a worthwhile experience. To uh, Lorene in Newhall, Iowa, good evening. Hi, Jim. Good to talk to you again. Indeed. Uh, these kids that don't want to work, that think they're too good for these minimum wage jobs, um, I think they ought to go to a farm and work for a month. Oh, that that's an awakening experience. <laughs> I, had, I grew up in a small town, and I had friends that their parents were farmers, and, and when I'd go stay with them or go visit, I had to go help do chores. I didn't get paid for it, but chores had to be done before the kids could come out and play. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much a bale of hay weighs, but I'll tell you something, it weighs a lot. Now, well, they these days, of course, they make those big rolls of hay, but yeah, back they, then they made bales of hay. Yeah, they were about 40 pounds. Were they? It was hard, I know, to get it, unless you, you, you had to have gloves to grab a hold of that twine, and it wasn't, uh, it, it was not a, a, a comfortable 40 pounds. It was a dirty, uh, smelly and, and frankly, uh, cumbersome 40 pounds. Yep, and we had to milk cows and feed chickens and swap the hogs. And mm -hmm. Yes, 
this is uh, I didn't do a lot of that, but I uh, I did uh, some of it, and I must confess that uh, well, it uh, it awakened me to a whole new world. I'll be honest with you. I grew up in a farming community. To Terry in uh, Monroe Falls, Ohio. Welcome to the Jim Bohannon Show. How you doing, Jim? I'm fine, thank you. I was uh, born with work ethics. My dad was pretty strict about that. Uh, probably about 14 or 15 when I was getting allowances for doing things around the house, stuff like that. And one day I got up, my dad was reading a newspaper. I said, well, what are you reading about, Daddy? So I'm looking for jobs for you. I said, why? You give me an allowance, what I need a job for. He says, you got to learn to start working and get out on your own, make your own money. Hmm. I did that and he found jobs and took me to different, you know, restaurants, uh, gas stations, stuff like that, and finally got a job there. Then after that, I really didn't mind it because I thought, well, man, I'm making more money here at this job than dad was giving me an allowance. But I was, I was meeting girls and guys and stuff like that at different jobs and mm-hmm. having a good time and stuff. I thought, well, man, I can go out and build a car up, dad's car up with them. Gasoline for this amount, just like back in 1972, and uh, go out to movies, see, you know, take girls out to movies, stuff like that. So after I first started, you know, getting to working, after he finally found me a job, I really didn't mind it anymore, you know. Yeah. Uh, seriously, I mean, it, it, you do, you get used to it, you really do, and you and you, you do make new friends, and you do wind up with great stories to tell. I mean, like I've your got... Your own money and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and a sense of independence. You know, this is not money that uh, I got from an allowance. I earned this money. Boy, learning that lesson early on, that was valuable. Like, uh, oh, after that, when I first got my, first got married real young, got my first apartment and everything... I had dad and mom come over to the apartment stuff. That's right. First got married real young, too young. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, well, hey, I got a phone here, Dad. So what do you need that for? I said, well, I can talk to people, and if I need to call off of work, they blew up right down there. He said, you don't call off of work. You go to work every day. He says, I went to work every day whether I was sick or not. You know, you go to work and put food on the table like I did for you when you were growing up. Yeah. You do not call off of work. You go to work every day. Yeah, that was something I was taught as well, and uh, yeah, it, it is valuable. Good, good points, Terry. Uh, that, that's a, a large part of, of the value of this kind of work. To uh, Tim, who calls in from Troy, Alabama. Hello, Tim. Hey, Jimbo. Uh, my comment is this: Over the years, I've noticed that companies have somehow turned the customers into their best employees. Um, you used to have bag boys take out your groceries to the cars. You used to, uh, you used to, if you buy something like a shelf, you have to take it home and assemble it yourself. There's a lot of, and Home Depot has got everybody doing their own yard work, feeling good about it. And I think there's a lot of jobs out there that are, used to be entry-level jobs that now, the company's customers are doing instead, if that makes any sense. Well, no, I see what you're saying. Uh, If if I go into McDonald's, I feel like I am working for McDonald's because I am making the effort to get my order correctly and make sure that it's proper. I'm watching the guy cooking it to make sure he don't put mayonnaise on it. And I'm I'm working. I I feel like I'm at a job when I go, go to retail stores now. 
Yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, where you do your own checking out. I'm waiting for the day when uh, we, we wind up carrying our own bags out to the tarmac at the airport. Yeah, that's really – and I, I have to wonder now that you mentioned it, how many of those actions by those companies have robbed somebody of a chance to learn a work ethic. Good point. Okay, Wes is in Saginaw, Michigan. Hello, Wes. Yeah, good morning, Jim. Good morning. Uh, this trend has been going on for too many years, and I blame the parents. Mm-hmm. You know, these kids today play their computers and video games and eat Twinkies, and uh, we have today, Jim, one-third of the 18-year, 18- to 24-year-old male who is physically unfit for military service. That's true. That's absolutely true. That's a real problem for recruiters now. Where do we find people? And, of course, if you need a certain number of, of warm bodies in uniform, there's only one thing you can do. You lower the standards. Yeah. And, you know, these kids today are pick and shovel, and you want me to go out there and get blisters on my hand? you got to be kidding. And the answer, of course, is, no, actually, we're not kidding. <laughs> well, that's right. And so I, 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 really, I really think we've got to turn this thing around and uh, let them know what real work is. Yeah, I think you, your point's well taken, Wes, and, uh, and appreciate that much. Uh, we'll uh, come back with more on the Jimbo Hannon Show at one eight six six five zero jimbo in just a moment. Glad you're with us on the Jimbo Hannon Show. Thanks for being a part of the program this evening. I would like to take a moment to mention a member of our crew. On-air folks get far too much attention, really, when a show like this depends on so many others in less visible positions. And so it is with great sadness that I note the passing this past Saturday of our longtime nighttime in-studio producer, Paul Hill. Paul had many roles, uh, writing summaries of the evening's guests for me, uh, looking after the guests who were here in person, making contact if guests were on the phone or in another studio. He was also the webmaster at JimboTalk.net, producing our weekly poll and other online features. Paul did that job for 12 years, but before that, he was an operations manager with this network, all the way back to its days as the mutual broadcasting system. He uh, kept the entire network on the air with crucial computer programs that he wrote. Paul was also the devoted baseball fan, spending many a weekend in Baltimore, even in Philadelphia, and finally here in Washington, D.C., after arrival of the Nationals. He also spent a lot of time at spring training, loved the National pastime. Paul had suffered many health issues in recent years, coming close to death numerous times, but always bouncing back with great courage and even humor. Paul Hill spent 36 of his 60 years with this network, devoted to doing things right the first time, every time. He set an example for us all. Our deepest sympathies go out to his widow, Debbie, and all his family and friends. Goodbye, Paul. We miss you. 
Glad to have on the program this evening our guests earlier, uh, Lou Dobb from the Fox Business Channel in our first hour, Lou Weiss, who is with the Manufacturing uh, Talk Radio Network. We talked a bit about automation automation tonight in our second hour. On the forthcoming Bohannon Show, we'll talk about the uh, looming exit, possibly, of Britain from the European Union. They will be voting for that on Thursday, and Tuesday night we'll talk with Marion Tupi about that. And uh, then in our second hour tomorrow night, we have uh, James Hogan. We'll talk about his book, I'm Right and You're an Idiot. <laughs> that probably says it all. Uh, that's how we address each other anymore. And civility would be nice. It's not necessary to be insulting gratuitously. It is not just avoiding political correctness. That seems to be a big misunderstanding. Now, political correctness and avoiding of, of that, uh, that is for circumstances in which people try to ignore the truth when the truth needs to be emphasized. Uh, for my money, the classic example would be undocumented workers. No, no, they're illegal aliens. And I will call them undocumented immigrants when I start calling bank robberies, unauthorized withdrawals. That is a distinction that needs to be made. But simply, for no reason other than you feel snarky, looking for reasons to insult people, that's not fighting political correctness. We'll talk about that with James Hogan, the author of I'm Right and You're an Idiot. Oh, in the uh, third hour this coming evening, Bruce Dumont, founder of the Museum of Broadcast Communications, founder of the National Radio Hall of Fame. We'll talk about those nominated this year. In fact, I'll make some mention of that, too, in just a moment, uh, after we come back after these messages. college grads, here's one more book you need to read. Real artists have day jobs and other awesome things they don't teach you in school. In paperback from William Morrow. Prepare for culture shock. You have to re-socialize and there are all these expectations placed on you. And you may go from being the absolute king of your campus to being an unpaid intern. Now that you have your A.B. degree, the world will teach you the rest of the alphabet. Confidence is great. Even a bit of cockiness can be good. But entitlement is so annoying. Sarah Benincasa is a comedian and author of Real Artists Have Day Jobs. The book Real Artists Have Day Jobs is very much about all the times that I've been kicked, so to speak, and the times when I've made mistakes. And then the few times when I've actually gotten something right the first time. The book Real Artists Have Day Jobs includes 52 essays on being a grown-up. If you don't love yourself right now, you're never going to love yourself in the future. Because as soon as you think you've climbed a mountain, you see another one in the distance for you to climb. Now then, who qualifies as a real artist? Well, athletes, musicians... Or in Sarah's case... Look, I whittle, as in, like, <laughs> I have, like, a whittling knife and wood, and I'm not good at it, nor do I care to be. That is a hobby. And everybody needs a hobby. After all, she can cut it. Oh, she adds, when you don't know what to do, college grads, ask a successful woman. It is so 
so wonderful when a woman really succeeds, in a, especially in a male-dominated industry. And Sarah is passionate about this one. Your college major does not determine anything about your future. Maybe so, but I note the median annual earnings for aerospace engineering majors, $120,000. And for counseling and psychology majors, $29,000. The offbeat. I'm Jim Bohannon. Yeah, points well taken, I think, especially in the context of tonight's discussion. Let us talk to Joanne in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Hello, Joanne. Hello, Mr. Bahannon. Um, I'll be quick here because I know you're short on time. Talk about the job things. Um, kids today, there's so many of them just, like, bumming around. They don't know what it's like to even get into the work market. And then there's the adults, too, that need employment. We lost 10,000 jobs here a couple of years ago for the casinos closing. Mm-hmm. And the people went on disability instead of job hunting. But when I was in sixth grade, um, I wanted to get my working papers for my first job. And I was excited about it. And my mother told me to ask my teacher about how to go back at the working papers. And when the teacher asked me what job I wanted, she turned around and asked me if I had rocks in my head. Because the job was packing blueberries. That's when they put the cellophane on top of the blueberries with the rubber band around them. Oh, yeah. And you got paid a penny a pint. Yeah. So how fast you went depends on how much money you made. That's right. And I loved the job. But the teacher just, like, put me down because I looked at that kind of a job. Well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with learning uh, learning a work ethic under such circumstances. It will make you appreciate what it is you really want to do later in life. Good for you, Joanne. Robert in Enterprise, Alabama. Hello. Hey, Jimbo, how's it going? Oh, fine, thank you. Yeah, just uh, listening in. Just got off of work on my way home right now. Uh, this past caller and the other caller talking about uh, young kids these days not wanting to pick up a shovel and go out and dig a hole. Now, there's some of us still out there. I'm 25 years old, married my high school sweetheart. I got two beautiful kids, joined the military, Alabama Army National Guard, and uh, I also work a civilian job. I've been working ever since I can remember, whether pick it up, yard work, uh, growing up 13, 14 years old, doing my own little uh, grass-cutting business, working mom-and-pop shops, working my way all the way up doing construction, built my own house when I was 21. And uh, like I said, I mean, there's some of us still out there, but it's, it's hard to find us. These days, that's for sure. Well, it is that, but I think that uh, you're the better for that. You know, I, I a lot of the early jobs I had, I didn't really like very much. But in retrospect, I can recognize that I'm a better person for having worked those jobs. It was an experience that did me good. So I think that's true. Uh, we'll uh, talk some more about this uh, some evening. Again, don't forget to go to uh, RadioHOF.org, as in Hall of Fame, RadioHOF.org. And uh, now through the end of the month, uh, there is uh, a public voting for new induction into the Radio Hall of Fame. Hope you'll uh, take part and, and vote. Kathy Johnson is our producer. Joe Ardinger is our engineer. I'm Jim Bohannon, and this is Westwood One. Hear that? Of course not, because a dead car battery doesn't make a sound. You know who does make sound? Your daughter. And if you miss her big game, she'll make plenty of angry, high-pitched sounds. Better head to your neighborhood advanced auto parts. We offer free battery testing, a three-year replacement warranty on our platinum batteries, and free installation from one of our parts pros. Advanced Auto Parts. Let's get you back on the road. Most vehicles, most locations. See store for details.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.